0: Hey, it's Mike, and I just want to say thanks for checking out my podcast. I hope you like what I have to say. And if you do like what I have to say in the podcast, then I guarantee you're going to like my books. Now, I have several books, but the place to start is Bigger, Leaner, Stronger if you're a guy and Thinner, Leaner, Stronger if you're a girl. I mean, these books, they're basically going to teach you everything you need to know about dieting, training, and supplementation to build muscle, lose fat, and look and feel great without having to give up all the foods you love or live in the gym grinding through workouts that you hate. Now, you can find these books everywhere. You can buy them online. You know Amazon, Audible, iBooks, Google Play, Barnes and Noble, Kobo, and so forth. And if you're into audiobooks like me, you can actually get one of them for free with a 30 day free trial of Audible. To do that, go to www.muscleforlife.com F-O-R, forward slash audiobooks and you can see how to do that there. I make my living primarily as a writer. So as you can imagine, every book sold helps. So please do check out my books if you haven't already. Now also, if you like my work in general, then I think you're going to really like like what I'm doing with my supplement company, Legion. As you may know, I'm really not a fan of the supplement industry. I've wasted who knows how much money over the years on worthless junk supplements and have always had trouble finding products that I actually liked and felt were worth buying. And that's why I finally decided to just make my own. Now, a few of the things that make my supplements unique are one, they're 100% naturally sweetened and flavored. Two, all ingredients are backed by peer-reviewed scientific research that you can verify for yourself because we explain why we've chosen each ingredient and we cite all supporting studies on our website, which means you can dive in and go validate everything that we say. Three, all ingredients are also included at clinically effective dosages, which are the exact dosages used in the studies proving their effectiveness. And four, there are no proprietary blends, which means that you know exactly what you're buying. Our formulations are 100% transparent. So if that sounds interesting to you, then head over to legionathletics.com. That's L-E-G-I-O-N athletics athletics.com and you can learn a bit more about the supplements that I have as well as my mission for the company because I want to accomplish more than just sell supplements. I really want to try to make a change for the better in the supplement industry because I think it's long overdue. And ultimately, if you like what you see and you want to buy something, then you can use the coupon code podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T and you'll save 10% on your first order. So thanks again for taking the time to listen to my podcast and let's get to the show. Hello everybody, this is Mike, and I'm back with yet another episode of my podcast. And in this episode, I have Mr. Eric Helms back on the show, as we uh, promised quite some time ago, but hey, here we are, and he has returned to talk about how to quote-unquote bulk properly. In other words, how to gain as much muscle and as little fat as possible. Now, in case you don't know Eric, he is first and foremost one of my favorite guys in the evidence-based fitness space, Uh, but aside from that, he's also a member of the 3DMJ coaching team and is himself a professional natural bodybuilder and an actual truly natural bodybuilder, I will add, and strength athlete as well as an author and credentialed scientist with a number of peer-reviewed papers under his belt. In fact, he's working on his PhD right now, so soon he will be Dr. Eric Helms. Now, I've referenced Eric's work quite frequently in my own writing, so it's always a pleasure to talk with him and pick his brain about the science of making gains. And to that point, as I said earlier in this interview, we are going to talk about how to gain muscle quickly without just getting fat. Now, as you probably know, some fat gain is inevitable during a proper bulking season, but most people make a handful of common mistakes that not only sabotage their efforts to gain muscle, but also really just set them up for a long, grueling post-bulk cut that in many cases more or less wipes out the progress that they made. Now, the good news, though, is when you know what you're doing, you can actually gain significant amounts of muscle without gaining large amounts of body fat, and it's really not as hard as many people think. As you would expect, Eric does a great job breaking it all down in this interview where he explains these big mistakes that many people make and then dives into the simple science of making quote-unquote lean gains so if you want to know how to gain strength and size without packing on pounds of fat then you definitely need to listen to this interview so here it is eric thanks for coming back on the show despite being a little bit under the weather i appreciate it
1: hey man gotta get sick sometimes apparently but yeah. uh thanks for having me back on it's a pleasure to be here absolutely
0: um all right so the first time around uh, it was all about uh on season, particularly prepping for shows, cutting and so forth. Um, and this part two, which people have been asking for, um, is, is we want to focus on off season. And, um, so for those of you listening that aren't competing, this would also apply, you know, what what you would think as bulking is, is kind of like going to be the, 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 topic of discussion. And, um, you know, so I was thinking, Eric, that we just dive right in with what are some of the common mistakes that people make when they go, okay, I want to, I don't, I don't need to have I uh, I don't need to be super shredded anymore. And I want to gain some, I want to, you know, really focus on gaining muscle and strength. Um, and then where it goes, where does it kind of go off the rails from, from that point? You know, what have you seen in your experience?
1: Sure. It, it typically comes down to basically two different camps and they're normally differentiated by who do they follow? You know, like if so if you've got people who came up reading muscle magazines or, or the, or the 2017 equivalent, and they are basically following bodybuilders, typically they overdo it. Um, they'll, they'll kind of go on a sea a, a diet, you know, a seafood diet where they're eating everything. They're gaining a lot of weight very quickly and they go on a, uh, basically, a, uh, a go mad diet or, or something where they're, they're, they're eating everything and they're getting a lot of weight and, and a large part of it is body fat. Um, and very quickly, they're, they're running out of room to continue bulking. And they may be putting on effective muscle mass, but the, the time frame that it can last
0: before they start getting uncomfortable with their body uh, is short. And can can um, you can you talk a little bit more to that point of that time frame? Is it just about comfort? Because, you know, I've, I've spoken with a lot of people that uh, they... They don't really care. They just think if that's what it takes. Like if I just have to kind of be a little bit disgusted with myself uh, for half the year, then I'll then I'll do that. But is it is it is it just that the psychological, or is there also a physiological element there? Oh, there's definitely both. Um, you know, if you're if you're a drug free
1: person with any, any kind of experience underneath your belt, uh, the amount of muscle mass you can be able to put on, and the rate that it can get put on, is typically slower than what you might be told in the mainstream kind of bodybuilding information. Mm. So you're going to have, you know, the idea that you can put on a pound a week and have that be relatively clean weight, uh, when in reality it might be more
0: like a pound a month mm. that's going to be clean. Mm. Um, How would you say? So, like, is that is that is that for beginners or your intermediates or that number there? You know,
1: really, I, I, the range I like to use is about 0.5 to 1.5% of your body weight per month. It's a, recent, it's a decent rate to try to focus on gaining. Okay. And um, you'd say, one um, like the higher is for the, the newer you are, the, the, the more you're going to be on the higher end of that? Uh, yeah, basically, it scales to your training age. So okay. the faster rate you gain, you should be lowering your training age because the closer you get to your genetic ceiling, you know, the harder it's going to be to put on uh, muscle at that rate. So definitely. Cool. Yeah. That's, that, that's that's the one big issue is on, on that side of the fence. On the other side of the fence is people who kind of came up following like, you know, Martin Birkin or, um, you know, basically anyone who's talking about how to be lean all the time and how to get six pack abs. And their problem is that they often don't have a base at all, um, that they, they their first introduction to, uh, fitness was trying to get leaner, um, whether, whether they were overweight or not, or just not as lean as they want it to be, um the physiques they saw, uh, the information that was emphasized to them was always here's how you how you can maintain leanness or get lean in the first place and do it with less effort. Um, and they've never actually had a proper true period where they're trying to gain muscle. And they're often not satisfied with the results when they cut because they're um, you know, they don't really have a lot of muscle to show for it.
0: Mm. And um, can you can you just speak quickly to why the I mean, it's when you say lean gains, you obviously think of Birkin, but that is kind of the concept, right? Is that like you can keep your body fat at 10% and still gain muscle. Why that doesn't work as well as many people hope?
1: Yeah, certainly. Well, I I think the big problem is that a lot of people just want to have a certain level of leanness in their mind because they've been told it's maintainable. So, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've Skyped with someone uh, for a consultation. And they tell me, hey, this is my you know my fourth mm-hmm. time trying to cut down to eight percent body fat and each time they, they, they get there, but then they can't stay there. Yeah. Um, and they think it's their approach that if they just use a different diet, or if they reverse diet, or if they what have you, they'll be able to maintain it. But in reality it's just like, dude, your your set point's like fifteen percent and <laughs> until you accept that, you're just gonna be, you know, struggling and, and focused on food and, and not making great gains and having a relatively suppressed hormonal system and sleeping poorly. Yeah. Um and you know, so so it comes down to they have to A accept that their walk-around physique may be just not quite as lean as they'd hoped, um, which can take not, years not, for some people. In, not insta-worthy, right? Right. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so not something people like to hear, but something they need to hear if they actually want to make progress. Right. right? And then, then then the second part of that relevant to what we're talking about, is that they can learn that a fifteen percent body fat physique in this example. Is going to look better over time if they actually put in the years mm-hmm. and um, actually spend some time not trying to cut but actually building a good physique. And you know, someone with a, a lot of muscle mass at 15% body fat looks pretty good. You yeah. know, that's the type of person that um, you know w- would definitely be comfortable taking their shirt off at the beach. Yeah. So, so yeah, these people have typically spent much more time cutting than they have actually uh, gaining. And uh, normally, I, I talk them into going right, we need to set like a minimum. Time ratio limit of, uh, you know, time spent in a surplus versus time spent in a deficit, and I normally tell them, "Me you know, like the minimum should be like four to one." So for every, you know, four months of, of time spent in a surplus, is one month you've earned yourself in a deficit. Mm.
0: Yeah, I like that. Where I'm sure you get asked about mini cuts and mini bulks a lot. Um, I know, I know, I do spoken a bit about it written a little bit about it, it actually probably would be good to just have one single article i could send people to because i still get asked about that in my experience it doesn't it just doesn't work well and i don't know actually if there's this is something you would you probably be able to, to uh illuminate more than i would but it seems like there's something to momentum when you're in a surplus and after it takes a few weeks it seems like for your body your body's muscle building machinery so to speak to really um be firing on all cylinders. It's not just like, you know, the first day that you're in a surplus, all of a sudden you're, you're, you're able to, you're really feeling it in your workouts and you just, you know what I mean? It takes a few weeks, but if you're always flipping between deficits and uh, surpluses, it seems to screw that up. Yeah. I mean, uh, I I can't think of any
1: physiological reasons as to why the first few, you know, the the early part of a uh, a lean gaining period wouldn't be effective. Um, But I know People, if they have unrealistic expectations of a one of these shortcuts, let's say you take a, let's say you take that approach, that four to one approach, and you know you do four months of, of time spent in a gaining period and then a one month cut, mm-hmm. um, not a whole lot's going to happen in a month. Yeah. And if it does, it's probably not a good thing. It probably wasn't just, yeah. You know, yeah. um, you're talking much about you can take fat. off a
0: few pounds, like
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you lost ten pounds in a month, that that, that probably wasn't all fat. Right. You know, uh, right. unless you just have amazing fat loss genetics, yeah. And um, so, I, I think the way I try to sell uh, the, these these mini cuts, if you will, is that it's to allow you to continue going right in, in your in your surplus afterwards. So it's controlling, um, you know, fat mass accrual in the process of of a long term uh, gain period versus right. I, I bulk for four months, now I'm gonna get shredded in a month. Yeah, like then that, that, that's often the, the the next pitfall that you run into from the people who kind of come from that I uh, want to be lean all the time crowd is because mm-hmm. they're, that's still part of their goal. Uh, you, even if they've come to accept that maybe they need to try to be not so lean and they need to spend more time building their physique, that, okay, I've done that. Now now can I get back to what I want to do? Um, and that that's when you kind of got to convince them, like, look, you know, if, if you want to do a photo shoot or if you want to do a, a competition or if you want to you know get ready for something if you want to give yourself kind of a goal we can do that but we need to have a longer cut to do that and we need to get you built up so that when you do it you'll look good and this little one month thing is just to control fat mass gains uh while you're you know building your base
0: yeah yeah totally it's uh it's that it's that work you have to do up front um, to kind of uh, – I mean you could look at it in the, in the perspective of if it's a lifestyle thing or you know, use a financial metaphor or whatever metaphor you want to use. But it's just that work that you, you have to put in and you just have to put in your time. And yeah, things aren't you know the way you want them to be uh, for – it could be – I mean I don't know. It could be a year. It could be two years depending on what the person – how they want to look. But then the payoff is okay. You've you've done that, and now you're in that position, right? Where you can, if you want to stay lean year round, then there's of course a trade off. Uh, but you can do that. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to stay six percent year round, at least not naturally. But if you really want to have, you know, the, the 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 beach body or whatever, um, but you have to pay the price first. Yeah, and I don't even think you're gonna
1: be staying six percent year round if you're on gear I mean that, that's not going to help you you know like there's a, oh yeah no, it's um, not good for you but you go,
0: just go scroll around Instagram and you'll see it there are guys doing it
1: yeah well I mean there's there's no reason that that like just just hopping on gear is going to help you be leaner oh sure you know it, it'll, yeah. it'll help you hold more, hold more muscle or anything like that but I, I have talked to people who are like you know they, they end up going down the drug route just because they can't figure out how to do it and they think mm-hmm. that's magic and I think that typically does you know more harm than good um Anyway, that's just not really my bag anyway, so I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert there, but sure. um, but yeah, yeah, you're 100% correct, is that uh, that, that we, we, we could make an entire podcast about people who are um, attempting to maintain a leaner body weight than they probably should, yeah. and that is realistic, and that is probably more of a, a psychological issue than it is anything else, and and certainly, I, I, I think it's important to present it as a settling point, well, you know, the body fat you can maintain, and, and probably a settling point range. Um, that can change over time because a big part of that is not just physiological; it's also psychological and sociological. And as you get better at, like you said, incorporating new habits into your lifestyle, um, you may find you can maintain uh, a lower body fat percentage. But that's something that, that does take time, and it takes years of of kind of you know incorporating different habits when you go out to eat, yeah. you know, tracking and, and adopting quote unquote intuitive behaviors that are actually you know heavily learned and integrated. Yeah. are not really that intuitive. Yeah. Um, then maybe you know fifteen percent moves down to twelve percent in a, in a few years of you being in, and, and that's cool. You know, um, I've, I've actually ran into a few people who can maintain lower than this probably ideal for for gaining hmm. um, a muscle mass, and, and they have to become aware of that. You know that they, they're actually quite controlled and they manage their environment very well, but at, at the cost of, uh, you know, maybe maybe holding on to more muscle or being able to build more, more muscle. So that's always something always something to consider. Uh, and, and by far, I'd say those two kind of camps are, are where the two mistakes, uh, the two biggest mistakes are run into. And I'm either finding myself convincing the, the permit bulkers to take a little more control and a little more patience and be a little more moderate in their approach to gaining. Yeah. Or I'm, I'm convincing the, uh, the, the six-pack abs year-round uh, crew that, that maybe they need to have more realistic and individualized expectations for themselves.
0: Yeah. Makes sense. Um, so what about on the other side of the coin here on the training side? Are there any common mistakes that you see, um, there? Yeah, I
1: think more often than not, um, on the training side, people just think that, um, that there needs to be a huge difference between what they're doing when they're cutting or bulking. Uh, and really the, the principles remain the same. Uh, it's just that, you know, you can probably handle a little more volume. You can deload just not quite as frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's some really old school thoughts out there that you need to be lifting, you know, heavy when you're bulking, you know, like mm-hmm. fives and yeah. sixes and yeah. eights. Yeah, and then you go light then, when you're cutting, so you really bring out the striations right. and all that shit. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't, I don't know how, how 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 worthwhile it is busting that myth because I think that that's more like of uh, early 2000s 90s things. I just yeah. don't run into a lot of people
0: who still. I, that's like think when I that. first cause got first picked up <laughs> when I first lifted a weight. <laughs> I think that was what the that was like pretty commonly. Uh, like that was what you did. you ask someone in the gym that's what you do but that has
1: uh, same. yeah that was for me that was like 13 years ago yeah. like the last time that, that was probably a rather rather popular belief. so there there's that um, but but basically the principles of, of of training remain the same in a deficit or a surplus because it's always doing the same thing. you know you are you know creating a, a signal for for muscle gain and uh, you know that's either supported by your nutrition or it's not. And it'll be more or less effective because of that, but it, it doesn't really change it. And then you just have to think about, okay, is my recovery going to be hampered from my nutrition, or will it be aided, or at least not hampered? And that should, you know, dictate some of the decisions you make in terms of how you modify your training volume, uh, intensity, frequency, etc. But um, yeah,
0: I think um, – Have you seen – is- like something I've seen is uh, not working – like not doing enough actually while like trying to follow a very minimalist program while bulking. I mean in some cases it's bad where it's like a program that's just upper lower. That's it, two workouts a week and yeah, they're longer workouts but um, – and, and they're in, they're rather intense workouts, sure. But it's still just two workouts a week while bulking or maybe three, max four um Anyway, to that point of where, I mean, I've seen that, I don't know if you've seen that, where it's like, okay, if you really want to maximize, you have to, you're going to have to work a bit harder, you know what I mean? Especially because you're not brand new to this.
1: Yeah, again, it, it seems to come down to where did they get their information from. Yeah. So like, the, the, kind of what goes hand in hand with some of the, I would say, Martin Birkin-inspired kind of approaches, and I don't want to sound like I'm hammering Martin Birkin, but sure. really there's been a, a lot of offshoots from him. There's been a lot of people who've basically you know, Just, kind of copied what he's done. You actually, know, almost copy pasted. Actually, in some cases, literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. And, and again, their their approach is is what he used, which makes sense for what they're doing. You know, like if I'm trying to maintain a low body fat and I'm always in a like kind of a a maintenance phase yeah. at best, yeah. or a cut, yeah. then I probably do want to take a, a you know a lower volume approach and, and maybe focus more on like tension stimulus. That that's a, a fair argument. Um, and so you'll see that you'll see the. I train three times a week in alternating upper/lower fashion, and I use three sets of four to six per muscle group, and that's it. One exercise, yeah. um, and you know that's it's probably an adequate stimulus to maintain yeah. uh, for for an intermediate person. But for the average person with a couple years under their belt who's looking to optimize muscle gains, it's just not enough volume, you know. Um, it might be decent for strength gain, but, you know, I, I'd like to see someone getting at least 10 sets per muscle group per week, yeah. um, spread across at least two sessions per week as a decent kind of starting point. Mm-hmm. And then from there, if, if we're progressing, fantastic. Modify if it doesn't change. So that, that does happen. It's not – again, it's kind of specific to that crowd. Okay. On the other end of the spectrum, you get the people who came up listening to, you know, IFBB pros and um, depending on who they're listening to, they may have kind of this – not really focused on progressive overload mindset. Yes, yeah, a two-hour of day of like. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's. I'm I'm not a weightlifter. I don't care about how much weight I weight I move or, or yeah. getting point point A to point B. I want to feel the muscle work, and, and I'm like, well, okay, so long as you can. Do that and have an objective system for progressive <laughs> overload over time,
0: I'm fine with that. Yeah, but I mean, it's know, like kind of like you, how, whatever you want to tell yourself, that's cool. But as long as we're doing this over here, <laughs> it's whatever you want to everyone. Oh yeah, about. totally. Yeah, because I mean, it's not like they
1: don't make any valid points. Certainly, yeah. you want to make sure that you're not just like throwing tin around it and uh, and just lifting as heavy as you can all the time. I mean, it's it's not A or B. It's it's finding like okay, I do want the target muscle working, sure, and progressive overload is the key critical component to progress. So how, how can we systematically ensure that it occurs? And that's that's basically uh, the, the two things you don't see. is people doing too little, like you said, or just doing everything but without structure. Mm. So I think just generating structure in general is typically very helpful to people who've been struggling with with actually building muscle.
0: Mm. Okay. And anything regarding cardio, do you come across that doing too yeah. much um, or, you
1: know? Well, for uh, often your, your female listeners, um, this is relevant to them for the most part in my experience and also again I'm just hammering the the, the lean gains crowd you know the <laughs> Martin Birkin people um, I can see the headlines the, now I can see the fake news now <laughs> <laughs> um, but the funny thing is this is nothing that, that Martin has really directly promoted it's, it's more of um, the audience he attracts Yeah. Um, and I think that's something anyone who puts out information is going to be I would say a victim to to some degree or sure. has to be aware of that the information you put out will not always be received in the way you want it to be. Uh, it will often, sometimes, be um, used by people who kind of already have that filter and bias and want to basically keep doing what they're doing um, without changing anything until they really start to run themselves into the ground or, or see a lack of progress. But anyway, yeah. So I, I often run in, run into you know females who um, are a little intimidated by the by the that, by the prospect of putting on some body fat. And, um, are often doing a lot of cardio, uh, probably more cardio than most of your average male fitness person would do during a cut. Yeah. I uh, just kind of at a, at, at a, as a baseline. Yeah. So, so cutting that down, um, is really, again, getting around kind of their psychological fear of, well, if I don't do this, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Um, and same thing with the, with, with the guys who are very focused on the kind of the six pack abs. So that, that is, that is one mistake. Um, and then sometimes in the modern age, you'll run into people who are very sedentary, uh, and just, you know, they're, they're a student and they take online classes or they're an office worker, or really they just don't have much energy expenditure. And you actually do need a little bit of cardio in there just to kind of have a consistency of, of, of energy intake or to, to just make it easier for them not to gain weight too fast. Um, but, um, but that's actually something that, um, pretty specific to the individual as to far as, you know, just what their baseline activity is, you know, yeah. and how sedentary they it's are. It's relevant
0: to a lot of people listening. I know a lot of people are in that position where you know, most, most of us work at a desk, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so yeah. And sometimes people create the scenario, like you said, if they're only training twice a week, they feel like they have to do cardio to, mm-hmm. you know, not. Just course, just to be able to eat train, some food. Right. But if they were to go from, say, two hours of training a week to four hours of training a week, all of a sudden, not that they should do that overnight. I would say, to kind of give a little disclaimer to people who are listening to this and going, oh, I'm not training enough, is like, you know, build up like 10% more volume, you know, over time. Add one session. If I did first, I'd take the two sessions, like you said, that may have a lot of time spent in them and just break those up into three. Mm-hmm. And, and then from there, if. If you're still not gaining it, probably an appropriate rate, or if you're still plateaued, then you could make like a 10% increase in volume. Yeah. So, so like people
0: listen, let's say if you're doing an upper lower, maybe you could turn that into a push pull legs type of setup to, to break it up into three, for example.
1: Certainly. Yeah. And then, you know, if, if you wanted to get that frequency up a little higher, you can go, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, and then go push pull legs and then have like a full body day. Yeah. on Saturday or Sunday or something like that with lower volume and a little heavier weights and then get a little more volume on the other days. So that, that way you're hitting that kind of two times per week frequency, uh, you know, strength and hypertrophy, stimulus, all the good stuff.
0: Yeah. Cool. Okay, good. So I think those are uh, those are the, the major uh, mistakes and uh, just kind of misguided ideas that people have. So let's uh, circle back around and talk about how to do it right. Do you want to just start on the diet and nutrition side of things? Certainly. Yeah. So I
1: think the big one is, is realizing that there's a direct relationship between the calories you take in and the rate of weight uh, that you gain. Um, so, if our goal is to gain, you know, 0.5 to 1.5 percent of our body weight per month, uh, that's really, you know, less than 0.5 percent of our body weight per week. So, the average, let's say, 170-pound male, that's that's not a lot of body weight you're trying to gain per week. And if you need roughly a 500-calorie surplus per day to get roughly a pound of tissue gain, that means you're only going to want like a 100 to 300 calorie surplus, depending on how how big you are to start, you know, and and what your training age is. So if you're a, if you're five, six and you're a intermediate, it's going to be a small surplus. If you're, you know, six foot and a beginner, sure. You might have like a 400 calorie surplus to, to get you in the right position. Um, and then the second question becomes, okay, well if I'm only trying to gain a little bit of weight over time and it's a small surplus, how do I even track that? And, um, the, the way to do that is looking at longer time periods. So I'll often tell people to look at like a 14-day body weight average and compare that to the next 14-day period. And you know, then then you're working with, you know, let's say let's say you're trying to gain, you know, a pound a month. You can look at a 14-day average and see whether whether or not you're up, you know, half a pound, yeah, or close to it. Say 0. 0.4 to 0. 0.6 or 0. 0.3 to 0. 0.7 pounds. And if you're in that range, then you're thumbs up. You're in the sweet spot. If it's too low or too high, then you can make a small calorie bump by say like 50 or something like that, and just kind of nudging it in the right direction, um, because you're not looking for for too much. Um,
0: And just to that point, for people listening, the the problem with this in particular, with with just trying to use the mirror is, you know, you're not really going to see that much of a difference uh, week to week, if you're not, if you're not tracking your weight, like what you're talking about, especially with with working out an average like that, and you're just trying to go off of like, do I look bigger? That's, uh, that's not going to serve you very well.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, the last time I was able to look in the mirror as a as a drug free lifter and and assess whether or not I was bigger it was in like the first year of my training. Yeah, and then, you know, after that, I really can't. I kind of have a moment of of like uh, of reflection where I go, Wait yeah. a minute, I'm I'm two fifteen. Last time I was two fifteen, I couldn't see my abs. You know, and yeah. so I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. So you know, and th- so that's that's the kind of thing where. It, that's that's like years apart, or before I notice, uh, you know, gains. Or, or, or the other k- scenarios are when I actually diet down for a bodybuilding show. There's no mm-hmm. body fat to obscure uh, my physique at all, and I can look from from 2009 to 2007 or 2011 to 2009 and see what progress I've made. Yeah. Um, but you know, obviously, that that's not a way to assess, you know, for the general pop. Like, was your gaining phase successful? Well, just diet down until you're shredded, and, then you see, <laughs> and then you'll see. You know, <laughs> Just to just take six months after you're done bulking and, and get diced, you know. That's yeah. uh, probably not a useful, you know, you know, like kind of tool to put in your tool belt. So, yeah, assessing progress, primarily what you want to focus on is the, the ingredients that will result in gaining muscle mass rather than just am I getting muscle. Yeah. So are you in a surplus, so you're gaining tissue? Do you have an appropriate amount of, uh, you know, volume and frequency and intensity in your training program? And is progressive overload occurring? And if those three things are happening... Then, then you can probably be sure that that uh, the most percentage of that weight you're gaining that can be lean muscle is. Uh, And if you're not satisfied with it, and you're doing everything right, then it's just a matter of, you know, coming to terms with the fact that you're not a beginner anymore, which is tough. You know, I remember when I, I I thought I was doing something wrong for many times when I moved from the beginner to the intermediate. Phase and often I was because you know I was still a relative beginner and didn't know what I was doing. But many times I was changing things just because I was still expecting to gain like a newbie. Yeah. And you know falling in love with kind of the training approach I had at the start because that was the rate of gain that I was now accustomed to and expected. Uh, and being frustrated by anything less than that and that that is quite the mental hurdle for people moving from you know the, the kind of the honeymoon honeymoon phase. So just um, just something to, to think about for for people who are been lifting for maybe more than six months seriously, and they're just starting to notice that the progress is not the same that it once was. Um, so yeah, so on the nutrition side, the first piece is really making sure that your surplus is uh, appropriate and probably not as much as you think. And then how do you track that is by looking at, say, 14 day averages or even monthly averages and making small changes over time to push you in the right direction or pull you back if you're gaining too quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, I don't know that you really need to track your protein, carbs, and fat. Like, I would probably recommend for anyone doing a serious cut. Um, But I would say you want to make sure that you're getting in at least enough protein, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, during this period. And also eating a relatively healthy diet. So I I tend to focus more on, okay, am I getting in at least roughly, say, 0.8 grams per pound of protein? Mm Or more is fine. Yeah, um, and then am I getting in, you know, a serving of, of fruit and vegetables each for every thousand calories I'm consuming, mm-hmm. as a minimum, mm-hmm. um, and certainly, you know, more than that, extra credit is fine. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know,
0: do do you do you, do you um, even go a little bit further and, and choose your fruits and vegetables uh, specifically, or are you just looking for like, ah, I'll just make sure I get some leafy greens and a variety of fruits, or? I'm a big fan
1: of just variety is the spice of life, and yeah. and uh, and to ensure you're you know you're covering your bases nutritionally. So yeah, um, yeah, I'm I, I'm not I'm not one to tell people like you have to get an apple, a banana, berries, and etc. Because yeah. you know these phytonutrients. Uh, more so, it's it's just a matter of variety is good. You know, probably want to have kind of that decent eighty twenty rule, mm. to where eighty percent of your foods are you know single item ingredients. Um, "Quote unquote clean," if you will. Yeah, but stuff don't, that you don't have actually, to produce
0: it isn't—it doesn't come in a package. <laughs> exactly, exactly.
1: And um, then the other twenty percent is whatever you want, really, so long as you're still meeting meeting those requirements of getting in your micronutrients, getting in enough protein, and gaining weight, which is basically your surrogate for an energy surplus. Right. Um, and you know, going back to the issues people have, sometimes they'll come to me and they're eating too clean and they're eating too high of protein, and you know, a high High water, high fiber, high protein diet is one of the most satiating diets you can have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and satiation is, is useful to a point, but when you're actually trying to gain weight, that can actually become a barrier. Yeah. So sometimes I will tell people all right, I want you to eat no more than 0.8 grams of protein. We'll put you kind of at the lower, lower end. And um, let's go from like an 80 20 to like a 70 30 mm-hmm. and get some more, you know, Chipotle in there, you know, yeah. or, or whatever we need to do, you know, yeah, burrito yeah, yeah. gains. So. <laughs> Um, what do we need to put down so you can gain weight more easily? More palatable food, essentially. Yeah. So, some of the opposite rules to what you'd probably want to do while trying to avoid excess fat gain or actually trying to cut. Um, so, that, that's one of the things that's kind of been lost in the, the kind of new age if it, if it fits your macros. Is that, sure, you can fit anything into your diet, but do you mm. want an entire diet of highly palatable foods that actually makes you hungrier or less satiated? Uh, because that makes it actually harder to follow your diet. And
0: starves your body of uh, vital nutrients that keep you disease and dysfunction-free, if that matters.
1: Yeah, it should. And then (laughs)
0: it definitely (laughs) should
1: matter. And some people will find crazy ways to like, you know, I get my fruits and my vegetables, I take a green supplement and a multivitamin. And then I have ice cream for, you know, 30 Uh, to 40% of my calories. That's actually common. So
0: if you want to speak to that quickly, like, I mean, you see that all over special special social media. Well, that's like what—that's what what they tell themselves. Like, I don't—or even, I mean, that's even going a little bit further. Honestly, what I see more of is like, Chipotle over and over and over, and ice cream, but multivitamin. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that's—if
1: there was a time to do that, it probably would be during a gaining phase for someone who struggles to gain weight. Right. You know, that—that'd be like a decent remedy to that. Because now this is just like daily life. This is—this is not because. Yeah. yeah. Now, daily life, I I, I would advise that, like, um, yeah. Like if, if if you truly can find a way to get all the phytonutrients, your fiber, and have decent uh, nu- nu- nutrient spread to ensure that all the zoo and phytonutrients are, are in there and micronutrients are covered, and you're getting blood work done to confirm it, and you feel
0: good, <laughs> yeah. fine, go for it. But I just I have a tough well, time believing that's that, that, occurring. Yeah, I mean that means that you have to eat certain kinds of foods, right? Especially if we're talking yeah. sol- soluble fiber, fruits and vegetables. Yeah. Like where else are you going to get it? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah,
1: so anyway, yeah, food quality is important, but don't forget satiety. That's kind of the, the wrap up to that
0: little rant we both had, um, you know, know, just, I want to say one more thing on that. So, you know, I think it's, I think it's also, I think it's also funny that, uh, it's in, in a lot of cases people are, are, it's almost like they're, they're gloating about how they can eat this or eat that, or it's, it's become like the cool thing, especially on social media to kind of eat like shit but at least stay relatively lean or, you know, have some sort of a physique. Um, and, and then other people will celebrate it and, you know, well, yeah, we need more of this. Or they tell themselves, you know, I'm just not going to feel guilty about food anymore. I'm just going to eat the fucking hamburger every day. And, you know, now I don't have any psychological associations one way or another, just macros and shit. Um, I, I think that it's I, – I, I, I would challenge someone like that to eat – to do almost do like a whole 30, like you have to eat super clean for 30 days. That is actually takes more. I, I think that's more, that should be more celebrated because what do we, uh, so, so you learned a bit, you learned, you know, dieting one hundred and one, and now you just eat a bunch of shit food because you can. I don't understand what's cool, but it doesn't require anything. It doesn't require any willpower. It doesn't require any Uh, I mean, it's just stupid. It it actually requires like ignorance, really, of how the body works and why nutrition is 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 important. Um, So I I almost like want to create a more flexible kind of not retarded Whole Thirty and make that a thing. And here's here's a challenge: How about you eat really, really well for thirty days, and then you might actually be surprised at how much better you feel. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I, I I look at that a lot of the times, and I I. I probably sound like you know, like a, a parent with a teenager and I go, oh, look, they're in that phase. You know, that's what I think <laughs> when I see those posts you yeah, know, because yeah. I remember going through the same thing uh, when I first started where I had certain misconceptions about what I had to do nutritionally and what my primary variables I should focus on and when I really realized, oh man, a huge part of this does come down to calories in, calories in, out and having a good macro spread mm-hmm. and being consistent with that. And realizing that I didn't have to eat just a, lit, a list of six foods, and so you tend to extreme go go to the other way, and then um, you may even feel like resentful towards the fitness industry that, that told you you had to eat, you know, broccoli, chicken, rice, right. oats, and tilapia, you know, yeah, and cottage cheese, but only after eight p.m. kind of thing, <laughs> and um, and so you go on this like, look what I can do, kind of thing, and yeah. uh, it's very much akin to yeah, it's akin to when you when you know you're your freshman year of college. And you start to read about you know U.S. foreign policy, and, and you become basically like a revolutionary for at least a semester before, you know, you get that out of your system. So it, I, I see it's it's kind of the same way, um, and uh, and sure, that, that that's fair enough. Um, and I think there was a time when it was valuable. You know, my 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 colleague and close friend and business partner, Alberto Nunez, was the guy who popularized the Pop-Tart in the fitness industry mm. by just taking pictures of him eating it on a regular basis. And in 2007, 2008, 2009, that really was challenging the idea that you could never have anything that wasn't on the approved list. Yeah, And I think he saw value in going, right, I'm leaner than the leanest, everybody. And there was kind of this message of, yeah, you can get lean with if your macros, but you won't ever get to like top tier pro level conditioning. I remember that, yeah. Yeah. And, and there was kind of this kind of internal fight. And um, I, I know that some of the people on, on the side of trying to share the meals they had when they were eating dirtier were just kind of going, you know, and, and just trying to create a little challenge, some of the, the preconceptions people had. And I think there was value in that. But I don't know sure. that anyone really, anyone informed really still thinks that you can't get lean, you know, uh, unless you're eating really, really clean food. So I, I don't know if there's value in it today. I think... Moderation should be emphasized more rather than kind of bouncing between the two ends. So I largely
0: agree with you. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, I remember when that a lot of that stuff was going around, actually, from Alberta. Um, mm-hmm. When it was, it was he must have been, you know, prepping for a competition, or he was because yeah, uh, he was like skeleton lean. It was ridiculous. Yeah, man, yep. Jack, Jack Holocaust victim.
1: Okay. <laughs>
0: Hey, quickly, before we carry on, if you are liking my podcast, would you please help spread the word about it? Because no amount of marketing or advertising gimmicks can match the power of word of mouth. So if you are enjoying this episode and you think of someone else who might enjoy it as well, please do tell them about it. It really helps me. And if you are going to post about it on social media, definitely tag me so I can say thank you. You can find me on Instagram at muscle for life fitness, Twitter at muscle for life and Facebook at muscle for life fitness. All right, cool. So, so the, that's the, the calories, that's the macros bit on the nutrition side. One other thing that might be worth touching on quickly is um, just cause you know, I, I've come across a lot. I'm sure you have as well where people, you know, if you're going to go and eat out and they don't quite understand how, Many calories are in a lot of restaurant foods, and because they're bulking and they don't, they feel like they don't really have to watch things as closely, they fuck up in that way, and they don't realize mm. that like yeah, that dinner was good. That was like six thousand calories with fucking three <laughs> three hundred grams of fat. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The
1: um, that's the easiest way for, for shit to sneak up on you is that you know, palatable food in restaurants typically has just the average person that I've talked to twice as much calories and twice as much fat typically because you can sneak in oils and and butters and and portion sizes, you know, we don't like people will eat what's on their plate for the most part, regardless of the plate size. Um, you know, we don't really, we don't really eat just purely by what makes me satiated unless we're very aware of that and are training ourselves to do that, uh, which, you know, Hey, obesity epidemic. So, um, even those of us in the fitness industry who probably won't ever become obese are still affected by that to some degree. Right. And um, so yeah, you looking up a meal at Applebee's on MyFitnessPal um, may be right, but it's not like the cook, in, in, you know, yeah, the line yeah, yeah. cook in the back <laughs> is going, he's like, oh, he's making he's making your pasta dish, and then he goes, hold on, let me check my fitness pal. Yeah, Yeah. Oh, that's right. This should only be 1,200 calories. This one's actually two thousand. I need to remake it. No, yeah. you're going to get a two thousand calorie meal. The next time you might get eighteen hundred. The next yeah. time after that it might be twenty one hundred calories. So, um, you know, the, the people at restaurants are, are not busting up the food scale for you. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, their not, job is to make the food taste as good as possible, and that means correct. oil, butter, cream <laughs> as a base. Whatever you can work those into things, they get tastier. That's
1: right. So and not that you should be bringing a food scale to the restaurant, it's just that you need to have some system of accounting for that. Right. Um, now, if you're tracking your body weight over time, you will very quickly realize your mistake because it will go up faster. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you don't want to be the guy or gal who is finding that out after the fact or not knowing where that's happening. Like if you're consistently thinking, you know, I'm doing a good job when I go out to eat, and you know, I'm, I'm tracking it, uh, maybe I need to modify my nutrition outside of, you know, the, uh, the restaurant, you're basically, you know, aiming at a secondary culprit to the problem. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're eating, let's say 5,000 calories on that day, like you said, and only 1,500 of it's outside of the restaurant, you know, trying to reduce 1,500 slightly is going to have a much smaller impact than trying to reduce 3,500. Um, so yeah, I would say there's nothing wrong with eating out. You just need to have a realistic idea of what is actually in what you're ordering. And probably still like order from like the healthier, smarter options mm-hmm. on the mo- for the most part, um, just so that you can be a, a little more confident that your, your tracking is accurate. Because really, it's the the mixed dishes with a lot of uh, you know fat, butter, or oil, cream, and and, and uh, yeah, and uh, or or certain and, and meats, obviously uh,
0: sausages and uh, bacon right. and uh, yeah, ground so beef of, and, and mm-hmm. very high in fat, exactly.
1: And that, that's where it gets snuck in. You know, it's it's easy to estimate the the protein and carbohydrate content of a meal out. It's difficult to estimate how much fat's in there. Yeah. And that's that's typically where you're going to be surprised when you see the macros. You're like, whoa, that's twice as much fat as I thought. Yeah. So so yeah, that that's that's basically um,
0: dessert can of. be
1: can be yeah. really oh, yeah. a lot more than you think. Right. Yeah. It, it, for the most part, you know, someone who is um, you know, careful about their food intake and, and very conscious of trying to gain muscle and, you know, keep their body fat levels under control. You know, appetizers and desserts should be a, a rare thing, not the common thing. Right. Because it'll, it'll just help you meet your, your nutrition targets. Unless you're someone who just has a, a ridiculous energy expenditure level. Yeah. And then it's really, it might be a matter of eat whatever the hell you want and then make sure you're eating enough. But yeah.
0: that's not everybody. And it certainly is probably the exception rather than the rule. Totally. Um, one other thing that's just probably worth throwing out there that I like to do is I, I do all of what you're talking about but then also sometimes like I'll be thinking with the restaurant we're going to and what would I uh, what do I think I want to what do I think I want to eat and so sometimes I will kind of just eat my protein and you know eat some vegetables maybe a piece of fruit just keep my like I'm coming into the dinner with my protein more or less handled maybe I'm a little bit short so I because I usually like to eat some protein anyway um, but I've, I've saved a lot of my carbs or fat and I will do that. It's not something I would do regularly, but if it was like one day, and I'm like, "Oh, I would like to go," maybe you know, twenty five hundred calories, uh, and from from this, uh, you know, whether it's regardless of how I get there, that's um, also something that you can do. Uh, I wouldn't say it's something you want to do frequently in terms of multiple times a week, but sometimes I'll do that.
1: No, that's that's a very useful tool. Like if you know you're going to go out to eat for dinner, and it's probably going to be thousands of calories, then. Yeah. You know, you could have like protein and oats for breakfast, yeah. and then you know a. Uh, I would like do a assess. salad with chicken. Yeah, exactly. The mm-hmm. salad with chicken is exactly what I was going to say. Uh, with with not too much, you know, salad dressing or light salad dressing, and then you know, then, then you have a lot more flexibility when when dinner time comes. And uh, yeah, pre and post workout, you just do like a, a shake of whey earlier in the day if that's between lunch and dinner. Yeah, and then you're set, and you can. You have you have a lot more flexibility when you when you go to the, the restaurant, or at least a lot more room for error. So, um, yeah, th- th- those are, those are great practical tools for how to incorporate eating out when you're trying not to gain too quickly.
0: Cool. Um, okay, great. So I think that that probably pretty much covers the the least the 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 big uh, bold head, headings of, of nutrition, right? I would say so. Cool. So now let's flip to the training side of things. Sure. Yeah, and you know, training, like
1: I said, is is not going to be that different than what you would do deficit or surplus. You know, sure. in, in the end, this is this is the signal that that generates you know the the potential to to gain muscle that okay. you're then support supporting with your nutrition. So, right.
0: so maybe if you wanted to just drill down in, because people can then they can listen to our previous um, mm, exactly. interview and, and learn the basics. But uh, how does how do things change? Then maybe if you want to touch on that. So, how how do things change uh, on the training side of the equation? You know, looking at cutting versus bulking. Yeah, it's it's really just a matter of
1: being slightly, with an emphasis on slightly more aggressive. You know, like okay. when when I'll diet someone for a show, there's typically a regular deload schedule. Mm-hmm. Like we're we're, we're going to deload every fourth week or something like that because I want to make sure you're recovered. Um, I'm going to see how much volume I can get away with doing. You know, in in terms of 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 not doing too much rather. Uh, you know, basically taking the lower end of, of a volume to to ensure that I'm, you know, making sure you can recover. Uh, while during a surplus, I would probably be a, a little more loosey goosey with it and, mm. and start with kind of in, in the middle of, of, a, of a certain range that I thought might be appropriate. Um, obviously, nothing that they had never done before that was totally foreign to them and, and you know a huge step up in, in volume. But but certainly you have more ability to recover from training. So you know, like you said, you could, you could definitely check the uh, the last episode, but there still should be regular deloads, you know, and, and tapers, and just any kind of kind of method to the madness to where you're you're pushing for a while, and then you're taking a, a planned period of recovery instead of just going, man, I, I just I'm weak now, you know, yeah. and I don't understand, I.
0: Which is yeah. a, which is a good thing to bring yeah. up because I get I mean I run into that fair like I'll, it's one of the things I'll commonly ask when if I if I if somebody tells me that you know if they're feeling kind of run down but they're eating enough food and they're sleeping fine and whatever it's one of the first things I ask when's the last time you tried not beating the shit out of yourself and just you know gave your body a break and then in a lot of cases they haven't deloaded once it's been or it's been like nine months or something of really pushing it yeah like, well there's your problem
1: yeah yeah. I typically do every 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 fourth to eighth week in, mm-hmm. uh, in someone's off season. They will take a period where it is an intended easy week. You know where you're yeah. doing about you know two thirds of the volume you'd normally do and uh, an RPE. So how far you are from failure is maybe one one rep further from failure than they would be in their normal training. Okay. So that might be just just short of just short of failure if you're someone who's always pushing it, yeah. which maybe you shouldn't be doing, yeah. uh, or or further. And um, I think it's a good way to look at it is that you're going to plateau regardless, but you can either plateau on your terms by choice uh, and then plateau less frequently in in your actual training or you can plateau and then just try to, the problem is, is what people do once they plateau, like they'll reach a natural point where they've, their fatigue level is higher than their fitness. And they're like, Oh, I don't understand. I was, you know, I did, you know, 10 reps last week, you know, and then nine reps before that, eight reps before that this week, I only did seven. With the Same load and hit failure like what's up with that? I'm feeling wrecked. Yeah, and then so what do they do? They do another set, you know, so they'll they'll try to find some way to still induce progressive overload um, Which you know, don't get me wrong is a great mentality the, the reason why you're probably making gains and, and why you're doing this in the first place Is because you're always wanting to push farther than you had previously. Yeah, but you know your body just told you man I'm pretty beat up. I can't recover and actually perform better than last week And what did you do you forced another set in there? So you actually could progress uh, and then that continues for a few weeks until they really go off the rails, um, and either get an injury or just, they, they, they contact, you know, you or me and they're going, I, I, I've been plateaued for two months. I don't know what to do. Um, and that's typically when you go, right, well, we need to figure out some way to A, get you out of the hole, which is is e- easiest doing a deload. Yeah. Uh, and then B, we need to figure out some kind of method of organizing your training better so that you're not running yourself into the ground. So, you know. An easy way is having, you know, like a, a thing in your head of okay, for, for three to six weeks, I'm going to be pushing to, to get progressive overload like I normally would, and then at the end of that, uh, I will take a week where I'm dropping my intensity a little bit and my volume by about a third. That's just a rough guideline, um, and you could even focus that towards movements that that t- tend to fatigue you more. So you could yeah, I was going to ask on that. What
0: about exercises?
1: Yeah, that, that's a great way to do it, especially if you're like a powerlifter or heavily focused on like the big three, mm-hmm. you know, people tend to start feeling joint issues yep. quickly when they're, yep. when they're, that's pushing how, that's too how hard, I right?
0: personally experience, like when I get up to that mm-hmm. point where I know that I need to dial back a bit as I start to feel it in my joints.
1: <clears throat> yeah, exactly. So typically the culprits are your, your barbell pressing and then your, your squat and deadlift variants. Um, and, and you can definitely deload those more, you know, just do like yeah. one set yeah. at a low RPE. And that would really give your, your ability to get some of that semi-soft tissue to recover along with kind of the, the systemic recovery that would come with the deload as a whole. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that's important. It's probably more important than a lot of other things because if you're inducing progressive overload and you've got a decent setup like we talked about in our last podcast, then really the uh, the emphasis
0: should just be, okay, well, how do I manage fatigue from pushing? Mm-hmm. And is there anything in terms of exercise selection uh, when you're programming, uh, you know, a cut versus a bulk, or does that look more or less the same? Yeah, it looks more or less the same, okay, for
1: sure. Um, you know, I think, I think exercise selection for someone who's focused on hypertrophy really should be come, comes down to personal preference with with some intelligence behind it. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you definitely want to have a, a solid base of compound movements. Um, you know, and they do or don't have to be, you know, like the, the big three or the the barbell lifts or the big four, if you, you know, like, like the overhead press or, uh, all these things. But, um, certainly you, you want to have like a horizontal push, horizontal pull, vertical push, vertical pull, squat pattern, and a hip hinge pattern. And those should be your bread and butter. And then around that, you can get your single joint movements in there. You can have a few different, you know, machines that you really like, or you really feel target certain areas and, Mm -hmm. you know. And that's going to be true of everybody. During, based on your biomechanics, your body awareness, and your training experience, um, there's going to be certain muscle groups that you may have trouble feeling. Yep. Typically, from like for most people, it's going to be a muscle in their back, yep. or it's going to be um, maybe their like lateral or rear delt. Um, I run into sometimes with
0: yeah, as I say, pecs with bench pressing. I'll run into yeah, guys, especially guys yeah. that are new new to weightlifting. They they feel like all they feel is you know triceps mm-hmm. or yep. or anterior yeah. delt. Right. Yeah. So I mean, again, unless you're unless you're a powerlifter
1: or, or unless you really want to be able to answer that question, how much a bench pro, um, then <laughs> if, if you're not feeling your 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 pecs, then hey, emphasize horizontal adduction more and, and do some dumbbell pressing. You yeah. know, There's no, absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, your your pecs don't care. You know, as long as they're stimulated, they will grow. Um, so yeah, I I, I, th- I see nothing wrong with that. I, I personally have always gotten great pec growth out of, out of bench press, but Same. I've met tons of people who who, who don't. You know, so I think um, exercise selection, don't just do what you've heard is good or what you've seen your, your favorite athlete or, or, or model do. Is, is Really think about, okay, I need to train all, all my muscle groups to get them to grow. And so what compound movements do I feel all the you know, targeted primary and synergist movers in? And then round it out with uh, the accessories. And that should be the accessories or, or secondary movements should probably be the, the minority of your total volume in my opinion. Right,
0: um, and probably on the lower end of intensity, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. Like, I don't. I don't think there's really a purpose of doing like sets of five on that pull down. You know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you could, but like for the most part, certain rep ranges sit
0: well with certain exercises. For sure. You know? Yeah.
1: Um, even like, even just funct-
0: all- even functionally, there are certain exercises just doesn't lend itself well to heavy lifting because it gets too sloppy and uh, you, I mean, I've run into that where certain, where I, I don't really feel the muscle that I want to train working properly with that amount of weight. So, yeah. And, and it goes
1: the other way too. Like, sure. Every person who's serious about lifting weights has done, you know, Widowmakers makers on squats and done their 20 rep sets to failure. But what they don't tell you is that they weren't able to do anything else that workout.
0: Yeah. You know, shit. like,
1: like I, I literally remember going through a period where I was doing those and you know, I would take like a, a five-minute rest period after the first set, yeah. the next set I would have to take like a 10-minute rest period. The third set would make me throw up literally and then I would get some hamstring curls done and go home. <laughs> like that's a, sh- that's, that's a shitty workout, you yeah, know, like let's that. be honest.
0: Yeah. Um, I remember my all first the, 10
1: sets of 10. That was the worst shit ever actually. Yeah, there you go. That's another fantastic way of, of well, at least there you're getting the volume in, you know. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah enough volume for, uh, <laughs> uh, for a week and a half. Yeah, yeah. exactly. For three leg sessions. Yeah. So, yeah, the – so so like some things like a compound movement is valuable because you're training multiple muscle groups at once. Mm-hmm. Um, to then throw a ton of, of metabolic and cardiovascular fatigue on top of that, uh, that's a problem because if you think about it, every repetition of a compound movement is going to be compounding the amount of fatigue that you have compared to an isolation movement per rep. So it probably makes sense to focus more on a low-volume low to moderate repetition, you know, tension stimulus, and then get your, your high rep work that's easier on your joints. And that right, like you said, lends yourself to more easier muscle activation when you're doing, you know, machine work and isolation work. So for the most part, if you're like, I, I tend to keep, you know, bench 10 reps and under, I tend to keep, you know, my squats and my deadlifts, front squats and RDLs, like eight reps and under
0: yeah.
1: um, deadlifts, probably actually more like six reps and under. Yeah. And then, uh, then I'll, I'll be doing, you know, eight to 15 on everything else.
0: Yeah, makes sense. And uh, just just back to that point of uh, f- not feeling a, a muscle ch- activating fully or properly on a given exercise. I think it's worth just mentioning to everybody listening that because I know what just from people reaching out to me what they in, what they initially think is that they're doing the exercise wrong. They think that their form is bad. And, uh, so sometimes people will send me videos of form and no, it looks good. Like there's no, I mean, sure you might be able to nitpick little things, but that's not the problem. So it's just, I think worth, uh, just highlighting that for people listening that, uh, just because a bench press works great for, you know, for me and, and Eric and you, Eric, uh, doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work great for everybody. And you could Very have, true. you could have the be- perfect form spotless, you know what I mean? Yeah. And also
1: the, um, you tend to get these polarizing views on um, feeling the muscle work, you know, so you'll get the people who will tell you like, hey, if you're a bodybuilder, you want to feel the target muscle work mm. in all movements and you'll get other people who may, may or may not be bodybuilders who'll be like, well, no, just, just focus on form and just do it and don't worry about what it feels like and right, um, they're, they're both right but I yeah. think it's exercise specific. Like if I'm doing a squat, no, I'm not thinking about my, my vastus lateralis, I'm just squatting. Like, yeah. That's that's taking sixty percent of the muscle groups in my body. Which muscle am I supposed to focus on? Yeah, no, that's a good and, point. And yeah, and it's a dangerous movement. You know, like these are these are high relative to the movements. Obviously, it's, it's more dangerous to be weak and not trained. Sure. But um, like a deadlift, a squat. You know, um, some of these these heavy compound barbell movements. Uh, you know, heavy pressing like a standing overhead press and even a bench press if, if you can. Uh, if you if you're already feeling all the muscle groups, you don't need to focus, and you probably shouldn't focus on any single muscle group. But yeah. if you're doing like a cable row, or like a lat pull down, or a bicep curl, or a tricep push down, feel free. You know, there's only a few target muscles you're actually trying to work, so you can definitely focus on one and and get more of that quote unquote mind muscle connection. There's no issue there. But when you're doing, you know, a complex athletic movement, you should be trying to develop movement skill. Right. Not feeling a specific muscle group. That's
0: a good point, actually. Um, it's a very good point. I, I guess that's more just how the complaints come. Is like, I don't feel my pecs on the bench press because, yeah. even though, yeah, sure, there's more involved in bench press, but at that moment, at that time, then to them, bench press equals bigger chest. Why do I not feel my? <laughs> why do I not feel right. my pecs? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And
1: it's a little easier on, on the upper body lifts, but yeah, for, you really shouldn't be thinking about what what muscle groups are working. You should be thinking about your form on like a deadlift or a squat, you know? Yeah. And just, um, and just trusting press. and
0: knowing that like, yeah. if you're performing a deadlift properly and you're using any amount of weight, your back is working. Like you might not, you know, you don't, don't, yeah. don't, you don't really have to overthink it. That's about it. That's all you need to know. There's
1: no way you're standing up without it. Exactly. exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, on, on something like a bench press, um, yeah, that, that, that's like we said before, you, you'd probably want to just Try switching to a different compound lift with, with dumbbells, and, and it, you know, it may I, sort itself out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've I and you've probably seen this as well. I've seen it where so so a person's in that situation, guys in particular, obviously with bench press, and then either they just keep working, and these are generally when I've come across these people that are new to weightlifting and uh Mm. sometimes very new and i have to explain to him they're also starting with not a lot of muscle or strength so i have to explain to them like this is pretty common Let's like give me give me a couple months of solid work on it and then let's see you know what i mean um uh, so i've seen that where then as they as they actually gain some strength and put on a bit of muscle they didn't realize like everything that they wanted to happen was happening it just they didn't they weren't aware of it for a little bit. Um, I've seen that. And then I've also seen where somebody has, has transitioned. Okay, let's, let's do some dumbbell pressing for a bit and, uh, and then come back to the barbell or vice versa. And now it, uh, it feels right. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, definitely. I actually do like the bench press or at least barbell movements allow smaller increments in load to be used. Yeah. So, you know, ideally um, you know, I'd I'd like to see someone able to do them and, and feel everything. And you're right. When you're in the first, I'd say the first six months of lifting. And if your form is actually correct and safe, just keep training. Like I I don't think you should be trying to troubleshoot yet because you you don't actually you're not a fully formed like you're still a amoeba in my Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're a single cell organism. You can't even you know But yeah, just like it just takes time to to feel everything and to be aware. I mean it's it's not even necessarily an issue of activation. You you just don't have the body awareness yet to do that. Yeah. So um, so don't stress
0: it. Just keep training. Totally agreed. Um, all right. Last thing: supplementation. Anything that you want to say on on that? Because obviously, training hard. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and then when you're cutting, you have to eat clean. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. No. No.
1: Uh, on a very serious note, um, supplements are there, there's a, there's a small handful of them that, that that work beyond just you know spending your money and um there's fewer that that are are useful and effective in a a uh, bulking period because Mm -hmm. you know you're not dealing with the stressors of dieting Mm -hmm. and fat loss is not a goal so um but be very aware that i mean even creatine the most researched and probably most useful supplement for putting on strength and muscle mass you may not be able to notice the difference of being on creatine or not if you were to do like a placebo controlled trial and you had to guess whether or not you were given the creatine or not, um, and that's the most effective supplement. So it's it's definitely supplementary, yep. and it may be. And some people know, 1%. just don't respond. <clears throat> that's true. That's very true. Um, so
0: yeah, uh, yeah. So it's so large- let me let me run a few by you that I feel so BCAAs sure. that that's very common, right? You have to fucking drink the pink water all day. Yeah, BCAA, I think are
1: largely overrated. Um, they're a really expensive way when you. Really expensive way to get in protein when you could just be taking you okay. know a scoop of probably. whey for for much cheaper. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and all, all of these because obviously benefits. the pitch is like, oh, you're, then your body's super anabolic all day, all the time. Yeah, you don't want that um, because it's
1: it's not. There's what's called a refractory period. You know, if you're trying to take um, protein in all the time, like I, I actually think it would probably be detrimental to have like a constant. IV of, of BCA going into you because <laughs> amino acids have to compete. There, there, you actually would run, wouldn't run run into problems if you were to theoretically do that. Right. Um, but anyway, the, uh, the 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 main selling points of BCA, if you look at what studies that do blip as far as having a positive effect, uh, what you don't realize is that you get the same effect from either taking more protein or having carbohydrates. So sure, yes, BCA's are directly metabolized in the muscle. Yes, BCA's, you know. Uh, Elevate muscle protein synthesis, but guess what else is directly metabolized in the muscle glycogen guess what also raises muscle protein synthesis whole protein that you didn't break down Um, So then people go what if what if you're in a fasted state or dieting? Well, it's like you Why are you training completely fasted? Well, if you feel better with performance? Okay Is is, is half a scoop away really going to be that much of a problem or even a full scoop? It's not like yeah, uh, that's you're gonna feel completely different Yeah Um, so yeah, I, I rarely run into a situation where I think um, BCA is warranted. And I think I've, I've seen a total of one study, and it was on cardio, that where, where it actually, in a fasted state, um, compared to carbohydrate, there's one study I've seen where a similar amount of BCA produced better performance. Hmm. But so so all of the, the, the fasted track athletes who are listening to this podcast, maybe you want to consider it. But I think that's zero people. So Yeah. <laughs> Right. Uh, what about like weight gainers? Yeah, I mean, if you are the person who is really, really struggling to um, to put on weight, maybe making it liquid and blending stuff together, or or getting a commercial weight gainer it makes sense. It's just it seems like a waste of money to me to get, you know, basically low quality whey protein and maltodextrin yeah. uh, with with a multivitamin added. You could probably just you know get like peanut butter, honey, oats, and, and whey protein and blend it together for a third of the price. But uh, yes, going liquid is is a very useful way of getting in calories if you're really struggling to gain weight. Um, I've recommended juicing to people, mm-hmm. and I don't mean taking steroids, but uh, just just you know getting more of your carbohydrate through fruit juices uh, as a way of, of getting more um, calories down. You know, so I, I think, but but don't have any kind of um, like don't put weight gainers on a pedestal. They're really cheap ingredients sold in big bags totally. that are you could easily make yourself or yeah. similar.
0: Yeah, I, I have one coming out that's not that, which is why I'm bringing that up. That, Fantastic. That's, like, that's the yeah. pitch. The pitch is essentially like this is the problem with weight gainers. So here's one that actually has nutritious, high quality ingredients. And no, this doesn't automatically help you gain weight, but this is what it does help you do. You know what I mean? Which a lot of people have so asked for that because they want not they they think of it as a weight gainer or a meal replacement. You know what I mean? It's it's so it's like bodybuilder toilets uh yeah actually <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> that's what it's called fuck how did you know <laughs> uh,
1: yeah it's exactly sued,
0: but I like it yeah <laughs> yes yeah that's 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 the idea but um okay good so that's that's weight gainers um any, any other supplements that I mean there are the oh there's testosterone boosters we can just say that they all do nothing don't even waste your time <laughs> that's a decent I mean, that's a decent decent way of doing
1: it yeah. wh- <laughs> and even if they did boost your testosterone would it actually help your muscle gain. Probably not yeah. within normal physiological ranges, and they probably aren't boosting
0: your testosterone anyway. Exactly, um, and if there's, yeah. yeah, I mean, whatever. There may be a couple instances of like DAA that maybe, it, maybe in some people for two weeks by a little bit or shit like that. That's irrelevant, right? Um, yes. So, so that's that. Any other supplements that you get asked about that people associate with you know gaining muscle and strength that you want to talk yeah, about? Yeah, I mean, there's some ones that, that I, I
1: I recommend to a lot of people interested in muscle gain. as it's kind of like your your baseline. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be, you know, like a reasonably dosed multivitamin, fish oil, mm-hmm. and uh, vitamin D3 mm-hmm. if you don't get a lot of sunlight. Just uh, most, most of us, really. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, there was a study that came out that said I think roughly 80% of people in westernized countries, I forget which westernized country, but they tend to be pretty similar when I looked at surveys, are mildly deficient in, D, in vitamin D. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, we don't want a nutrient deficiency. And most multivitamins don't have a a high enough dose of D that would probably reverse that, you know, I think it's like 40 to 80 IU per kilogram is is a decent recommendation. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's right. Uh, I may be getting that a little bit wrong. So get on examine.com if you're, if you're, if you are thinking about supplementing with D three, ideally you would actually want to get blood work done to make sure you aren't in the 20% that's, that's, that's supplementing unnecessarily. Um, but, uh, that, that is something to, to consider, and uh, then you know, if if you're kind of like a pure bodybuilder or a pure strength athlete, it would be you know your creatine um, and potentially citrulline malate, which is shown to uh, more recently. This is something I wouldn't even have recommended like two years ago, uh, but in the last year, there's been like multiple labs that have come out and shown uh, that it seems to be helpful with uh, accomplishing more training volume. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and then one that I'm become less enamored with as I've seen more research come out is actually beta alanine, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is probably only relevant if you're doing continuous efforts longer than 30 seconds um, or 60 seconds, depending on which study or which meta-analysis you're looking at. So maybe if you're like a crossfitter or if you're doing uh, – if, if you care just as much about your anaerobic training as you do your resistance training, yeah. that would be something to do. Uh, or if you're the guy who's like, what are you guys talking about? I love 20 rep sets of squats and I do them every leg day. <laughs> <laughs> then, then, then certainly you might want to bust out. one, you're psychotic and two – and two, enjoy beta alanine. It might help you be slightly less
0: less uh, damaged. Yeah. So, yeah. great. Um, so that's pretty much it, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, HMB was going around for a bit. Uh, there was that nonsense yeah. research on it, but I think that, I think people are generally over that now. Yeah, I
1: HMB has always been at best a theoretical benefit to when you're uh, in, in a catabolic state that has never been tested outside of like you know dialysis and people at bed rest and things like that. And typically doesn't do well in, um, in trained populations. And the studies, like you said, that have come out where it has done well, uh, they've done really well. The stats don't look right. Yeah. And like better, um, better than steroids, well. Right. Yeah. And and it, it comes from a group that um, the, the studies they do on supplements always go well. So I would I would, yeah. would want to see replication by another group before uh, I, I ever committed to that. So
0: yeah.
1: totally. I don't. I, I don't. I'll, I'll be honest. I don't trust that research.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's the general consensus. Um, okay, great. Well, I think that's everything. Uh, I mean, is there anything anything left that you think that we didn't touch on that you wanted to to share? Yeah, just go hard or go home. You know, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> train, no, that's train, a, train, so. it, train it sane it, or be the same. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we could have yeah. just said that actually, and then just saved an hour. We would have covered everything. No, I think that about covers it, man. (laughs) Okay, awesome. Well, let's wrap up with uh, where people can find you, find your work. If there's anything that you're working on in particular right now that you want people to know about. Sure. It totally depends on what level of nerd
1: you are. So if you really just want to like get some, some information, how to train and and you're interested in some of the stuff I'm talking about, I would check out uh, our YouTube channel at 30 muscle There's a link there to see it, where we have a lot of information for bodybuilders and powerlifters. If you're, Really want to get into the nuts and bolts of training. I've got a couple books based on the video series I did back in the day called the Muscle and Strength Pyramids, which basically cover all of the, the things you need to know about setting up your nutrition or training plan. Uh, and that's at muscleandstrengthpyramids.com. Those are two ebooks you can check out. I'll put and links for the also. Soup. So anybody, awesome. if you watch on YouTube, just
0: you know, if you're on the website or whatever, you'll see down below.
1: Awesome. And then for the, the nerdiest of the nerds who really want to follow the, the research that the, like the muscle strength pyramids is built on and the ongoing research that's coming out. Uh, you got to check out monthly applications the strength sport or mass, which is our monthly research review targeted at strength and physique athletes or the, you know, the, the, the recreational people really interested in that and their coaches. Uh, and that's with myself, Dr. Mike Zerdos and Greg Knuckles. Uh, and you just want to go to stronger by com slash
0: mass. Cool. Awesome. And I highly recommend that it's something that uh, I promoted, uh, and I, I rarely promote things, rarely ever, actually. Um, and so I highly endorse everything that Eric does. Thanks, brother. And then he's uh, on the short list of people that, you know, I read all your stuff and I'm, I'm a fan as well. So Awesome, man. I can get into the Mike Matthews VIP club. That's what you're saying. <laughs> I'll fly you over. The bouncer would let me in. Um, All right, cool. Well, uh, that's everything, man. Again, thanks a lot for for taking the time. I appreciate it. I know it's going to go over well. People have been asking for it, so we have delivered. Cool. Hey, it's Mike again. Hope you like the podcast. If you did, uh, go ahead and subscribe. I put out new episodes every week or two um, where I talk about all kinds of things related to health and fitness and general wellness. Also, head over to my website at www.muscleforlife.com, where you'll find not only past episodes of the podcast, but you'll also find uh, a bunch of different articles that I've written. Um, I release a new one almost every day, actually. I release kind of like four to six new articles a week. Um, And you can also find my books and everything else that I'm involved in over at muscleforlife.com. All right. Thanks again. Bye.